Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have a collection of people from Owl.co. Sean, Solrab, and Vahid, the CEO, CPO, and COO, respectively, of Owl.co. Owl is a company that has developed a solution that helps major financial institutions deal with their onboarding, AML, KYC, and fraud detection, and does so in a very, very private way that in, at the ripe old age of one has enabled them to do deals with some of the largest institutions in the country. And here's my interview with the gentleman from Owl.co. Gentlemen, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, thanks for, for giving us the opportunity. Well, it's nice that, uh, to get the entire team in Toronto, so it's uh, worked out nicely. So the three gentlemen from Owl.co, tell us about Owl. So I'm Vahid, I'm the CEO of the company. Owl is a modular uh, data aggregator and analyzer, and it's all about knowing your customers. So we connect to thousands of public and private databases in real time, and we only need very, very few inputs, like your name, your last name, and an email address. And then with that, we build a view of that customer in real time, where we use it for three products. One is our automated and enhanced onboarding, which is really about personalizing the experience and then improving the sales conversion of uh, various channels. The second product is our KYC and AML tool, which is making KYC and AML checks instantaneous. What takes days for a lot of our clients, we are now doing it in less than five minutes. That's really revolutionary, going from days <laughs> to minutes. <laughs> You're not. Uh, wow, keep going. Uh, and then uh, lastly is our uh, fraud detection tool. So application fraud, ID fraud, and also for insurance, we are working with a very cool uh, project around disability claims fraud. One of the key aspects of our solution, we can talk about how, what uh, differentiates us against others, but the fact that we are zero knowledge. So no one can see or store any customer data, not even Al. That's what makes us truly unique. Okay, so we're going to talk about that privacy issue when we get into the features before we go anywhere else, because the first thing you hear is you give me three points of data and you guys are managing to able, you're able to put this much of a picture together of me. Yeah. I mean... To the layperson, that is frightening when you think about it, right? Yeah. To the average person, to the person in the industry who mm -hmm. knows like just how much data there's flowing around about everybody yeah. and how some of us like myself put a lot more out there than others, right. it's uh, pretty easy to put a profile together of people. Yeah. But we'll, we'll come back to that. For sure. So uh, let's talk I'm about- I'm sure we will. I'm sure <laughs> well, I mean, you have to. I mean, yeah, privacy is, you know, every time Facebook, you know, keeps being Facebook, <laughs> you know, this right. comes up again. And frankly, it's, it's, a, it's a hot button issue. So and it should, yeah. It yeah, should be. It's yeah. very, you know, we're, we're, we, <laughs> we need proper regulation. For sure. Anyway, so let's talk about the history. What was the impetus for the creation of Al? So um, Saurabh and I, um, you know, we're, we're serial entrepreneurs. We've had you know, multiple exits, um, you know, to some of the Inc. Inc. 10, you okay. know, uh, the enterprise. And um, our previous company, which was, you know, dealt with the automation of KYC and AML, but in the gaming and gambling sector. Oh, there's a challenging one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because that's that's really the source of all the money laundry and all the uh, terrorism funding. So it's a big, big problem. Oh, even even just regulation, right? Absolutely. I mean, in certain countries like the U.S., do they still not permit an online gambling? Oh, it's people who think banking and banks and insurers have a lot of uh, regulations haven't seen online gambling. <laughs> gambling if yeah. you want to, if so you want to stay on the that's yeah. hilarious that you're yeah. actually you're getting the finance and it's easier. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's it's heaven. <laughs> it's heaven. <laughs> um, oh wow! Yeah, that's we hilarious. had to. Yeah. So there are stories I can tell you. We had, 
you know, we had offices in, in, in Panama, we had a gaming license in Malta and in Isle of Man. So what happened, that company grew to over 100 million in revenue. We actually took it public here in Canada. Mm -hmm. And then Sorob and I exited. And um, we met with um, with Vahid. We did a lot of um, research. You know, Vahid's background is all enterprise. You know, he worked at BCG. He, mm -hmm. you know, he was so... So we bring the tech, he brings experience in the enterprise. And then when we study the market, we look for markets where they're highly regulated and we find a void. Right. So after we. So the opposite of most people looking yeah. for the void, but not highly regulated. <laughs> exactly. But, but that's because where we where we had the expertise. Right. So yeah. what we bring to the table is something that most startups didn't, you know, hadn't gone through. So we, we really studied it. We we saw a big opportunity. We saw that banks and insurers are living back in the 40s. And um, You're being kind. <laughs> and we had we, we, we were at a crossroad. So we had to make the decision whether we want to go direct to consumer and compete head to head with insurers or to build a compatible and compliant platform mm -hmm. that will enable insurers to kind of um, you know level the playing field so mm -hmm. that they can compete with the startups that are mm -hmm. coming. And we chose the latter. So we spent about one year, we put a great, great team together. We brought a CTO, we got him a working visa to come work in our Vancouver office, and we built a fully end-to-end -end encrypted and zero-knowledge platform. And that is the basis of if you want to call it success, but you know, in the one year we already have, you know, some of the largest banks and insurers in the world as clients. I'd call that success. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that is the that's one of the basis uh, factors. We fly through procurement, where most other startups get killed through legal compliance and um, and IT infosec. We fly through them because we never see the data. We're server independent. You don't have to worry about custody of data, and we're zero knowledge, so uh, mm -hmm. none of that data ever comes to zero us. Zero knowledge. Okay. So. This is interesting. I mean, so let's let's get that to the let's actually tackle the um, the privacy issue of this because what a couple of things you said there are fascinating. The fact that you've redefined the problem. Everybody's trying to figure out, oh geez, you know, we got all this privacy regulation, all this other stuff to juggle, and what are we entitled to, what do we keep, all those records. And you figure out a way to deliver the end what people actually want in the end, which is clearance for KYC and AML without actually tripping up on any of those regulations. Yeah. Okay, so Tell me how you do that. <laughs> I'm sure it's an easy answer. <laughs> to tackle the AML? Uh, well, to the tackle AML. the, okay. So you aggregate from all these places yeah. to put a profile of people together. Yeah. Talk to me about the, about the privacy issue because that's yeah. probably the core of this. Absolutely. So how we deal with it. First, we have to understand what is happening in the market today, okay. right? So working with some of the largest enterprise, I can tell you when we go to their offices, they have teams upon teams just doing all the things we're doing manually. Right, going I was going through, to say, how so much you think, papers involved. Exactly. Yes. So when you think, if you think what we're doing is freaky, you should see what's happening inside, right? They, they are doing a lot of the work mm -hmm. manually, right? It's so, scarily, it's scarily not where it should be. Like <laughs> exactly. The, you know, for, for manual processes to yeah. work is one thing. For yeah. manual processes to not work to the extent that they do is frightening. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so basically what I'm saying is they have FTEs that are going through personal information, public information online, trying to yeah. profile you as a customer, uh, trying to find any uh, irregularities or, yeah. or, or uh, suspicious behavior. What we do is we actually do the same thing, automated but fully zero knowledge. So we don't have FTEs actually going through people's private data or, or public data, sorry. We never look through private data. So all that gets happened on a fully sandboxed encrypted environment and analysis is done on that encrypted environment. Okay, so we've so gone through great complexities. Sorab will bore everyone to death on how we do that, but <laughs> you know, but but generally that's how we remain compliant. Yeah, Sorab, yeah. don't bore people, but tell me how that's happening. <laughs> well, well, how, how much time do I have? How many hours? Yeah, well, I mean, from what I'm hearing is you created this black box with the knowledge to actually find what it is the output needs to be. 
someone yeah. goes in, puts in the base level data, what of who it is they're checking out. Right. You guys, that black box sucks up all the data it possibly can, mm-hmm. and then you spit out. I'm guessing the exception reports yeah. or the like. You know, like if someone's cleans like ding, and if someone's not, it's like yo, look at this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I basically I'll try to go as far as not actually yeah. giving away the secret sauce, but basically what happens is. Our software is very client-side heavy. Mm. So an analyst, when they're actually performing a search, many of it is actually happening, the analysis. A lot of the analysis happening before it leaves their computer. Okay. Even on the mobile devices, it actually starts working there. It encrypts the data, just like any, pretty Mm. much it's it's key key pairs and just like cryptocurrencies, just actually gets encrypted on your machine before it's broadcasted to Mm -hmm. the servers. And it basically just is stored there, fully encrypted. The so, the, so, the client, so the client being the financial institution still yeah. has ownership over the data that they currently Absolutely. have access yeah. to. And essentially, so two black boxes are talking to each other that basically that you guys can't see the we personal can't see side. Anything. So anything. call yeah. it anonymized or whatever else you're doing. Yeah. yeah, it's just like a the box is being passed around, but the key is with the customer, right? Mm-hmm. So unless the key, basically the key tells you where the custody of data resides because mm-hmm. The encryption is unbreakable with today's technologies. And- Famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I say it, it's unbreakable. Okay. But but basically, we've built it in a fully modular way where there is a lot of regulation in place yeah. that banks are not allowed to look at to profile customers yes. in certain aspects, right? Yeah. So um, anything you know, that would be racial, anything that would be exactly, yeah, no. exactly. So we're we we're doing this not to just catch people or profile people to create biases. We're actually removing biases, right? Mm. So so with us using our tool, you know, fraud goes down, premiums go down, and it gives an all in all way better experience to the so user. That's interesting. Um, okay, so I mean, two things. First off, what you said earlier, sorry, about the about the black boxes connecting to each other to some yeah. degree, or my, my so eloquently putting it that way. So what you've done is the financial institutions cross the privacy and data regulation hurdles. You don't have to because you're not actually ever seeing the data. You're just an API call. Absolutely. Right. So the second piece is the biases piece. And that's interesting because, again, humans are all prone to biases. Exactly. And you can filter out things like that. So, I mean, race was one thing. I mean, you know, we've all seen if anyone's read Freakonomics or done any of that, you've seen like the propensity for people with less ethnic sounding names to be able to get jobs. Yeah. The stories and well, the, the, you know, the, the redlining stories in the U.S. of credit being treated differently once you were in a certain part of town. Right. You can. Yeah. So if anything, I, I think of this is if what you're saying is, is correct, then that information for someone who's living in a with a. <laughs> a racialized person with a very, very distinct racialized name that basically lives in a part of town that is traditionally shunned by lenders, but has is the most upright, clean record person yeah. is going to have far less difficulty getting approved for credit. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because our machine doesn't see race. Our machine sees behavior, sees yeah. data, right? Um, whereas, you know, it's replacing FTEs who may or may not be prone to racial profiling. Yeah. So what, what I would add to that is that if you take if you think about the day of an analyst who mm-hmm. comes there to do these type of checks, first of all, if it's in the morning, they're probably like more fresh mm-hmm. they, and towards the end of the day, the quality may vary. So well, you're but, taking that yeah. out. The second thing is- Or if is they're hungry. I mean, exactly. It's like that behavioral exactly. study that was done on judges where basically if they, if they, the amount of time, they were more likely to grant parole to people after they'd eaten than before than when they were yeah. hungry. A hundred percent. So so that's one element of yeah. like no, no variation by yeah. time of the time that the analyst works. The other thing is that to your point, if the analyst sees a file that is coming from that neighborhood, that they may assume that there's something wrong with that 
yeah. sort of like application, we take that out too because mm -hmm. we don't have those sort of like internal biases towards any data. So we gather the data, we deliver the insight or we analyze it to deliver the insight and then we make the decision. Mm -hmm. That to me is a very, very important aspect of how the aspects of automation that is happening mm -hmm. with, with our tools can really, really change the game. Last thing about the uh, privacy part. Yes. One thing that we are really, which is very important for us is that we actually eliminate anything that hasn't, doesn't have to do directly with the actual evidence of a result, right? Yeah, so extraneous information. I mean, we're not supposed to ask for that under PEPIDA anyway, mm. but I mean, so, that could cloud people's biases, right? So what's so, the point? Right. So how would somebody do that if an individual is doing it, right? If somebody's mm. looking at some evidences and going through them, they are prone to see stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in our case, it actually just gets eliminated right away before the result comes out. That, that's so that was a very out. important uh, uh, comment. This is extremely important. The other thing that I would also add is that for a lot of these checks, you actually talk and educate the customer that this is what we are going to do and these are the databases. That, so the level of consent is always there. So, so all the discussion that you're having is beyond yeah. the legal requirement. Hmm. So let's go back to the educate. How is it educating the customer? Take me through that. So as part of a lot of those checks, we actually need to gather the consent, meaning yes. that we basically share the consent level. These are the databases that needs to be searched for you to be able to, let's mm -hmm. say that you're gonna do an AML check on T-Money Laundry. Yes. By law, you actually have to check my name that I'm not part of a sanction list. By law, you have to check that I'm yes. not part of a bankruptcy list or any legal yes. lawsuit case. By just telling the customer that if you wanna do that transaction by my bank or my financial institution, I have to do that check. So we basically communicate that to, to the user as we gather that information. So it's interesting. I mean, the first off, anything that, that removes people from a decision where biases could be implemented and affect people's lives, I'm in favor of. I mean, and, and no matter how much any of us may think that we basically are level-headed, we all have inherent biases. That's just, that's just the way the human mind is, is basically wired, and there's plenty of evidence to support that. And furthermore, I've always thought that these, the, when I, one, of the one of the issues I've had with financial institutions over my life and just from personal experience, both inside and outside, is that there's a detachment from the, the result of those biases, right? So these things are numbers on a screen to us, and we lose attachment to the people, that these are people's lives we're yeah. talking about, yeah. right? Whereas if you can basically remove yourself from that bias, create the black box that basically does that, you know, without bias, no. you know, this is a social justice piece, right? Like yeah. this is something that's, that's not only, first of all, right and righteous, but also at the same time, potentially significantly market expanding. Yeah. Right? To, and, and, and well, I mean, for the risk side too, I mean, someone could come in looking like the stereotypical person you would cut a check to as a lending officer and be, lack of a better term, with some American listeners here, Donald Trump, where he basically <laughs> looks on paper like he basically is never going to default on a loan, but has a long history of defaulting on loans. Yeah. Interesting. But there's a positive side to all of yeah. this too. It's not always, we're not aggregating data just to trap the criminals or the, or the people who shouldn't go. We do that to anyone. Of course, who, the yeah. protection But there's yeah. also an aspect of, we look for supporting evidences, right? Mm -hmm. we, we work with, you know, there, there's a positive side. If you think about like life insurance, for example, yep. right? You do a urine test and you give a blood sample based on very generic information, you get a quote and that's it. Yep. Or um, if you answer a few, like three or four questions, you usually get a quote. Yeah. But if you actually actually have a data on someone like me who exercises every morning at 5 a.m., right? Yep. There's no difference between me. If I don't have kidney disease, heart disease, my premium will be the same as Sora, who doesn't. Well, the insurance companies are getting around that now with, with the issuance of health trackers, but that's still very, a... Very, very preliminary yeah. uh, steps. Uh, it still doesn't give you lifestyle. Yeah. If someone starts exercising last year, 
yeah. doesn't mean they've been healthy for this the past This is very true. Years. It's not, it's point of capture, yeah. right? Like, so it's, a, you know, and not only that, I mean, there's ways to game that sort of thing, right? Exactly. You just got to swing your arm around enough and... <laughs> exactly, <laughs> steps, exactly. Right? So, so it's not one thing that we track, it's a lifestyle yeah. that we track. So here's the, I mean, this is the interesting challenge, right? And we yeah. talked about only taking the data that's necessary versus not, right? And the first thing that came to mind when I started hearing about, like, capture data on the phone is, are you, I think you guys are all familiar with Tala out of, um, uh, I think it's out of, oh, out of India, but primarily operates in Africa. Yep. So Tala, for those of you who don't listen to, I suggest you look to uh, check out the TED Talk from uh, Shivani Soraya. Soraya. Okay, I'm going to screw up her name. I apologize. Uh, but just an utterly fantastic application of technology where they basically were able to open up the African lending market by with people with no credit histories whatsoever by scanning behavior on their Android phones because Android is an open platform. It's a lower cost phone. That's 99% of the market in Africa. And essentially, they were able to profile you based on behavior. Yeah. And when I say behavior, like it was little extraneous things that you would never think of, like who's in their top 10 call list, how often do they call their mother, how often do they browse pornography, yeah. how close are the ties to other members of the community that are close to them, yeah. and, and be able to issue credit to people who would never have been able to access it before. So fantastic. I mean, a little bit, it's an opt-in, so that's good. But it kind of, you know, it scares a lot of people once you're society. It's like, whoa, you're going to scan my entire phone? Well, yeah, but... They had no, there was no other way, right? So the question is, I'm not saying you're doing the same thing here. You mentioned stuff on phone, but how do you parse out what's relevant versus not until yeah. you've had enough of a data set to actually say like, oh, you know what? This data is not correlating to anything. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you, you, you don't. Uh, it, <laughs> seriously, it's not, that's actually part of the privacy. You don't want a human to tell a computer how to do this. Yeah. You get, the data is gathered by the machine and analyzed by machine learning. So it basically, in a big picture, it takes a look, it figures it out, right? So you're just trying to get whatever piece of data that corresponds to that person anywhere accessible, Correct. and then the, the machine learning will figure out there's yeah. any kind of relevance right. and then discard anything that does not need to be we looked at. We go through the regulatory stuff once, that, yep. which is another power of the system, right? Mm -hmm. And we say what can be accessed legally yeah. and what is good for yeah. this system. And then let the computer. So you get a hold of my Instagram feed. It's nothing but pictures of me eating donuts. It's an aggregate and triangular with many, many different yes, data points. Right? So, so the yeah. example that you mentioned is a beautiful example of, you know, using data. I, I don't, not that it's right or wrong, yes. but it's beautiful in the sense that they were able to underwrite based on behavior. Right. Yeah. And the behavior is dependent upon. I'm sure you know thousands of different data points that they have. Yeah. But they were able to make that underwriting yeah. decision. Very similarly in insurance right now, depending on the different types of insurance, all the underwriters are always looking for new ways to underwrite. Just yeah. like you mentioned, there's you know, oh, you know smartwatches. Some are looking at with us are looking at you know, but it 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 comes yeah, dependent. Genetics in Canada, so that's out the door. Exactly. Yeah. So 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 we have we have two things. A regulation has to allow it. Yeah. In order for a regulation to allow it, the underwriters need to actually prove that a you know if I have data point A B C D E, I can actually underwrite this person upon this. And yeah. That. I mean, you start thinking going down the rabbit hole like someone who's hypertensive or st stressful yeah. person, right? You start thinking about the behaviors of that basic cost probably yeah. does not attend a gym, right? So there's yeah. no there's no relevance to that. There's probably a lot of maybe tweet arguments that they yeah. get into, yeah. right? Like all the different, you know, we, we every time, I think the way the only analogy is if you're walking on a beach, you displace a lot of sand every time you take a step, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same thing with your life now. Everywhere you go, there's some sort of, no matter what you do, there's some form of data being collected yeah. somewhere. And it's all siloed, but yeah. you put the picture together. It's incredible. It's, it's much more accurate than an instant in time of urine and blood because that mm -hmm. only tells you how healthy you are today. Yeah. It doesn't really give you, I mean, with you can you can tell about mental health, you can tell about you know mm -hmm. physical health, a lot of things that you can get from data that you wouldn't be able to get mm -hmm. just from a blood work. And one thing that I want to add here is that 
these are all amazing philosophical slash technical questions that talks about sort of like what is possible. You a chief philosophy officer on this, like you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, uh, on the whole scope of what is possible, yeah. right? With the but very tactically and mm -hmm. in reality, there are still regulations that we, we we need to comply to, and that's the beauty of our system. We mm -hmm. built it in a very modular way which is an important aspect of our differentiation. So let's talk about the modularity. Yeah. So explain to me the modularity, the pieces and, and components people could sign up for. It's, it's time to plug. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, think about, if you think about compliance requirements yeah. of banks XYZ being different than ABC, these are all like massive organizations. Yes. That beyond the regulation that says by FinTrack or OSFI, yeah. they have their own internal requirements. They, yeah. they may say, May, the OSFI may say, you just check these five sanction lists and you're good. They may say, no, I've seen so many instances of like trouble that I got into and I have to check these 10 other databases as mm -hmm. well. The way that we built our system is like playing with Lego. You start in, you put the boxes that you care about, and that's the modularity piece. Mm -hmm. So you can say, I want to add these five additional databases as part of the search that I need to do for anti-money yep. laundry, because that's part of my internal compliances. That's the beauty of our system, that we can do that in a very easy way. So you have a very neat and easy to play interface where you can move these boxes and check marks the ones that you want to check in terms of databases yeah. to comply to your sort of internal compliance requirements. So your rapid rate of uh, adoption makes a lot more sense when I hear that sort of thing, because when you go in basically telling you, telling a, a company, no, no, you have to change your process to fit yeah. our model. Yeah. It's just like resistance point, right? Absolutely. And you're basically saying like, no, no, our don't model. Don't change it. Don't change it. We're just going to make it a heck of a lot better unless yeah. you check the stuff you did before. So is there two-way communication going on? Like, are you, take, are you able to extrapolate knowledge from their data to use back in the machine learning engine? You uh, can. Just for their instance. Just for their instance, right? Yes. So end of the day, RBC, whatever data they managed to put together to better make their processes better, that's not going to funnel back over to, say, BMO down the street. Never. Okay, Never. good. Never. So we're even server independent. Never. So this this whole um, uh, the system will work uh, from that bank's um, servers. So that's interesting. And I mean, the data never comes yeah, back to us. It's interesting because essentially you built as a testing engine. They basically are the aggregator on their on their end. Yeah. And you basically, every, so everything goes from there. So they're the data warehouse. That data warehouse gets pumped into your, your machine that basically does all the testing and pumps back the result. Yeah. Okay. And, and the machine learning, with what's very important is that whatever it learns from their data yeah. stays within their bank. But what's so important about that is that the machine that is learned for, let's say, BMO versus TD is going to be different. Yeah. And that ensures their competitive edge against others. So the more they're using our system, the more customer goes through that, the machine yeah. is fine-tuned for the BMO yeah. uh, learning. Yeah. So if they want to, if they want the edge, they have to pay us more yeah. money. So their, their secret sauce, yeah. they don't want their secret sauce getting out. That's the right. air quote secret sauce. What secret sauce is there in banking? And that's one of the key differentiators of dealing with us versus all the other ones that are mostly like off-the-shelf solutions. It's like okay, do that, and they perfect their machine learnings because they see and use yeah. all that data. To and that. having come from the industries you guys came from, I totally understand how the privacy issue would have been like beyond the current standard in banking. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it does sound like it's a little bit more easy than what you were dealing with before. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you guys have only been out for a year. Do you have any kind of benchmark outcomes you can talk about, like improvements on AML or like what fire, like catastrophes you prevented? <laughs> 100%. So for one of our clients, they had a massive issue of backlogs because the challenge is when things get takes a lot of time, yeah. you need to have the right team size to manage that. So they needed to hire a lot of people 
to clear that backlog because that backlog really was yeah. preventing them from onboarding a customer. But then the problem is the quality drops because those people are new, don't have the same amount exactly. of experience, right? So yeah. you have those issues. So those AML checks for them was taking something around five to 10 days. And the issue was with that, they, was, they were projecting to clear that backlog by 2022. Do you know what their solution was to clear it by 2020? More people. Hire 25 more people. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's um, it's not quite Brooks Law, which says you add more people and therefore it solves the problem faster. I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. yeah. So people don't scale. That, Sorry. So, just yeah. so, so the, imagine the training that needs to go yeah. within that 25, the quality variances that you will get. Yeah. The 25, one of them is a quick learner, the other one is a slow learner. Like you have a variety of like yeah. uh, quality issues here, right? And the benchmark is typically just getting the things done, right? Like, yeah. And, yeah. and the problem is then, you know, the reality is, is that you train for what the benchmark is. So let's, yeah. let's be honest, the beginner's traders was probably training was going to be pretty quick, pretty fast, not deep enough. And 100%. versus the experienced person who learned all this stuff at work and it's not being codified into a training program. So the results would have been far worse, yeah. I would think, for those exactly. people. So, so think about the timeline that I was talking about, the amount of like time that each file would take. So what we have done is that we built a quick demo for them. It took us five days, right? We built it like over five days, very much customized to the requirements that they said. And that's the part that speaks to the money. When you come back, what do they say? What do you still do? Why are you here? <laughs> five days? Come yeah. on, can't be And then we had a huge team of around 35 executives who were just in the demo that one day. And the CEO of that group was, uh, was part of that demo. By the end of the demo, half an hour later, he's like, we should proceed with this. We literally got the contract in 10 days. The right person in the room, it'll happen. Oh, and, and the important part, we'll clear that backlog in three months. I mean, the other thing too that makes me think about the entire thinking of hiring more people is that it's also assumed that the growth rate of your problem is going to slow down. Exactly. Which, like, where in finance is the growth rate of regulation and the yeah, need for checking this? It's just exponentially, right? And yeah. then, God willing, I mean... And if it's not, you have a bigger problem. Well, this is the, yeah, exactly. It means that your business is shrinking, right? So, you know, this is why back offices bloat to the degree that they do is because, hey, this process that worked really well yeah. with... And I'm, I'm saying this coyly because I have two startups and one of them had a conversation like this recently where it's like, oh, yeah, well, this doesn't take us that much time. Yeah. But your growth rate, it's going to take a department of 12 people inside yeah. of two years. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, like this, doesn't, this doesn't scale. So we are talking to the banks right now at kind of a perfect time. A lot of things have changed in the past couple of years. Digitization was on the top of mind for everyone. A lot of regulations got tighter. Sanction list got tighter again. Yeah. What banks have done over the past, let's say, five to 10 years, they just hired and hired more oh, people. God, and then they hired their own internal teams, which basically- but To like, their defense, I got to say something. To their defense, this is a very complicated problem to solve. When you're dealing with the regulation that they deal with, they cannot just onboard any vendor to you're solve this right, because yeah. they have to deal with, adhere to all the privacy compliance. It's just no vendor is allowed. Like, let's say I want to clear that backlog that we talked about, yeah. or, if, or if it's an AML backlog. They have to send me Jason Pereira's actual name to me to check him, right? Mm -hmm. That is PII. That is private information. That mm -hmm. Banks are not allowed really to give to vendors. A third party vendors right. no, under yeah, I mean, right. those and they, contracts. They do, yeah. but you know, it's they shouldn't. Yeah. And it's becoming more and more problematic. So so what do they do? They cannot, if they cannot do this, the only solution is A, build it internally, which sucks. Never works. <laughs> it sucks. Sorry. And they know Never it. Works. And the IT is just overwhelmed with a billion things they gotta make. And then when you know a new technology wants to come in, they just hate it, right? Or two, hire more people to do it manually. So really, when you think about it, 
until we came along, you know, they really didn't have a choice. It's, it's, it's a really complicated problem to solve. But I would also uh, add, I love blue oceans. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I would also add one, one key aspect of how banking and insurance industry is sort of like evolving. Everyone is moving towards offering their solutions instantaneously. Yeah, well, well I mean, you, we're a spoiled generation now, man. I mean, exactly. I can get anything, so, you want a pizza here in 20 minutes, or do you want me to have batteries delivered by the end of the day? Like, exactly. it's all going to happen. So, right? so that's the expectation of the, the, their customers. Yeah. So they're, they're evolving towards that. If you think about the onboarding journey, you ask some questions. Yeah. Sometimes you ask many questions yeah. for the products that you need to And the more questions offer. you ask, the more breaks, but continue. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the end of that process, you always, always have to stop and say, we will call you back. Mm -hmm. Why do they want to call you back? And typically it takes like a couple of days. A I week, mean, 10 days sometimes. Yeah. They want to call you back so that they can gather all the information so they can go do all those checks that we are talking about. You're not part of an AML mm -hmm. list. You're not part of like, you're, there's no fraud happening and all that. And then they get the sign off and, and the approval. So for us, the whole idea was building that view of the customer so we can, first of all, onboard them faster by asking less questions, mm -hmm. just asking them to verify things. And two, by doing these checks that are required by regulation on the spot. So then you suddenly are changing the whole game from asking, because a lot of the digital channels are actually focused on that first part, mm -hmm. up to quotation, mm -hmm. up to approval. Well, they're just trying to get the sale, right? Like this, exactly. This, this, the fastest have... route to sales, to selling a software package is to show them how it makes their sales cycle faster. Yeah, like that's, exactly. That's, yeah. so, so that's the whole idea up until now, which is like, Give them a code, give them a pre-approval, so we have them on the hook, then we can do our, our, our search. But we are coming in, we say, let's onboard them fast, give them a code, but at the same time, we can do all that checks instantaneously, and yeah. then the whole thing yeah. actually gets... Just forget the pre-approval for the mortgage, here's the approval exactly. for the mortgage. Here's the yeah. approval. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's fantastic. Tell me, let's go back to that disability uh, claims fraud uh, you talked about. Tell me how you're doing that without giving me the secret sauce. Let's go. So it's it's fairly basic. Again, it's it's looking into behavior. Yeah. Right? To, to Is this person at the gym all claiming disability? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like let's say let's say uh, you, God forbid, get get hurt and can't come, and this is not a threat. <laughs> if you get hurt, <laughs> it would be a shame if you got hit by a car. So, no. Says so the guy yeah. who goes to the gym every day. Yeah. <laughs> and you file for disability yep. uh, claims and you know we we find or the bank finds data on you rock climbing you know two weeks later yeah right that's flagged as suspicious and that could be on any ver various databases online it could be an article it could be a blog, yeah, number right? of things yeah yeah so um also we look for uh, for supporting activities mm -hmm. right if someone goes undergoes a surgery right yeah. we also look into physiotherapy the absolutely you know psycho psychological visits yeah we've also built databases of problematic doctors we problematic doctors i love it because there are because it is a thank you on yeah. behalf of all taxpayers yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly and also we do geotargeting how long how far you you travel to go see that specialist if you've gone three towns over to see a specialist it's probably suspicious so there's a ver variety of things we do but this is a 280 80 billion dollar problem, right? So yeah. you can imagine how much all of us. Well, that's just on the insurance claims. That's when you talk about insurance. loss productivity yeah. and everything else that oh. happens from the employer oh. standpoint. So, so can you imagine yeah. how much of our premiums is dedicated to that alone? Well, I mean, you know, and anyone, and here's the reality. I, you know, being licensed as an insurance agent, the hardest 
underwriting process is always disability, right? Yeah. And it's because, frankly, it is also the most prone to to abuse, right? Yeah. It's kind of hard to die it, to fake your death, yeah. Uh, unless you know, maybe you run a cryptocurrency exchange and you go to India and no one sees the body. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying anything happened there. Um, anyway, so uh, it's you know, but faking disability, it's like it's it's a lot easier to pretend you're in pain, yeah. right? Exactly. So yeah, so I mean, if whatever we can do to hammer down on, first of all, I, I can see applications for what you guys are doing in the underwriting process as well as the claims process, yep. right? And anything you can do to basically hammer that down, let's face it, disability insurance is not cheap at all. And so part of it. But one thing all that want, money gets gets held on the PNP. Yeah. One thing I want to add, which is very important, is that looking at it from a very different lens of mm. instead of detecting the disability and looking at it from a fraud perspective, yes. but thinking about it from a very different lens. And that is, if you would be able to actually find supporting activities that you're feeling better, you're actually really contributing to the economy. So a lot of people who are actually like on disability and they, we, can, we can help them with like finding sort of reasons or, or ways to help them get back to work, that would be a great way of looking at also like all these behavioral things mm -hmm. that we are, we are, we are seeing. Being able about. to use it in so the- So this yeah. becomes with a very easy change of perspective becomes something like, how can I help everyone who goes on disability to actually get better sooner and better and then come back to yeah. work and contribute to the economy? Excellent, absolutely fantastic. Gentlemen, thoroughly impressive. Um, wow. Uh, so basically, and we're coming up to the, uh, to the typical point where we get to the cutoff question. So here, here's the questions that make you guys think, and all three of you can answer individually or as a group, whatever you want. So first off, if you had one wish for one thing you can change in your company, in the industry as a whole, what would it be? Or or and. Uh, what, either or. In my company. <laughs> I'm fire these guys. <laughs> I got shares. How much time do you have? So, um, so, uh, so many things, right? In the company, it's all about talent. It's a bit like I wish right now we're only a team of 15, but we're acting like a team of 45. And with all the deals that we have, a typical startup of our stature, you know, you'd have at least 40 people. Mm -hmm. So, but we, we're a bunch of everyone's a senior in our company. So, if, if I could change anything, I'd have 40 people. <laughs> but it's a very hard process. Good, good luck staffing the 40 exactly. people, right? Uh, yeah, it's Now we are getting Brooks Law. Exactly. For those of you who don't know Brooks Law, is, it's the myth of the man, the myth of the, oh, what is it? Okay, but some of the applications are, the more people you add to a problem does not necessarily reduce the amount of time to solve the problem. Yeah. And it's very well known in the programming world, but the big analogy is you can't have nine women deliver a baby in one month, right? So yeah. more people equals more communication, equals more fragmentation, equals sooner or later that just starts to break down. So yeah, it's it's difficult. And then there was another path of this beyond the company, anyone else? Oh, so I, let me go one more about yeah. the industry because I have a, I have a bone to pick. <laughs> I think it's okay, I have that too, go yeah. on. So we all agree that, Financial institutions should be working more and more with startups, innovators, um, in order to bring more technology. In order to do that, I think procurement and legal and compliance should sit together and have a startup-friendly package. You know, it's simple MSA that everyone can understand. Yep. Have it, have it done. Like our company, we make a lot of money. We're well-funded, and we can have our lawyer go through it. It's still yeah. a painful process, yes. But you know, most startups will not be able to go through the MSA. They get swallowed in, and then you know, it'll oh, never yeah. pass, right? Yeah. So I think this would be a very worthwhile exercise for all the financial institutions to have not the same MSA that they have with IBM going in for the Understand it's a different right? standard. It's exactly. a sandbox. Like that's less, and I think you're absolutely right. I think the, the challenge is, is that they are just used to the old fashioned large enterprise service, right? They have IBM, they have Microsoft. Yeah. 
and they have SAP and then like Salesforce. And that's right. basically it, right? Yeah. Like, and a lot of this is, is a mental shift towards realizing that, you know, the world today, given the way technology works, it's not the one box that sits in the corner. It's a ton of small suppliers that come together, integrate properly, and are fast and mobile dynamic, right? And you're able to be more competitive because of it. But they're just they're just not wired that way, yeah. right? I think they're going to have to. <laughs> yeah, well, have if to. they want to, yeah. I think as 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 more and more of their competitors are going to get get more involved. If you look in the U.S., you know we have three clients now in the U.S. Yeah. that we're working with, and they're very prone. Their MSAs are fairly simple. Like they, if 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 Canadian financial institutions take a chapter from the U.S. banks, you'll see that they're moving towards. <laughs> if and, Canada takes a chapter from anywhere, but anyway, the, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it's interesting interesting too because you think of like I think I think what they're really going to have to start is when some of the neo like the neo banks in the US and the UK have started got have gotten a lot more traction than they have in yeah, Canada this yeah. fa this far yeah. I think in Canada they will start to get some traction at some point the question is how far ahead can they get and when they do then realizing you're going to have to start moving faster and there's just no way there's no yeah. way I've about about it I'll take another pass at uh, what yeah. I would love to see changed yes, in your the industry wish. if you think about what banks have done in the past couple of years they've done an amazing job of embracing the change and sort of introducing these innovation labs, innovation hub to attract those new techs yeah. and then try to integrate into the bank. If I see what sort of like actually being realized in terms of value creation for the financial institution, I see one sort of like challenge, which I'm hoping that that would change is that there are a lot of amazing people sitting in, in the banks and insurance companies that we are dealing with in their innovation sort of like groups. However, the actual business units, the leaders of the business unit, the executives who is in charge of that, their compensation package or the bonus at the end of the year or the KPIs that their success you, is you being. Got there, you got there being, before I did. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they get tracked on. Is not really tied into innovation. Yep. So if you put an executive, let's say a large retail bank here, compensation or bonus at the end of the year, let's whatever that number is, to be 30% of value creation based on technology. You're going to see a very, yeah. very different approach of how the innovation labs are run. It would take a genie to make that happen. I mean, here's here's my view on it, right? As far as I'm concerned, banker, banks and bank management is about one, and one, one thing and one thing only, is basically increasing the dividend every year or as much as possible, right? Because that is why they believe people buy their security, while many, many people buy their stock and basically just never, never missing a target. That's their goal, right? And we talk about these innovation labs and everything going on. I'm like, okay, th this is nice, but I remember what happened when I was in a major financial institution and the dot-com bubble happened. Guess what happened? All the front-end development people got, got turfed, right? Because when, oh, the money's not there, the money, like, oh, business is drying up now. Who are we going to get rid of? Are we going to get rid of all the $40,000 employees or are we going to get rid of the hundred some odd thousand dollars employees that are going to hundred to 200,000 per year that are going to basically in a couple of years be able to replace those for us. Well, we can't wait a couple of years. We got to get rid of them now. Yeah. Right. These, I do believe that the next downturn, you're going to see a massive gutting of those innovation labs. Right. And as for, you're right, the incentives completely not aligned. And this is why I swear every CEO of every major bank or financial institution in this country better wake up every morning and thank God on their knees that Amazon does not enter this market. Because frankly, how do you compete with a company who doesn't have to show profit? Right. They can afford to go and say, oh, we've opened up this neo bank and things are going well. And you know what? We're going to pay people for joining us. And we're going to basically not give a damn about profit because the industry doesn't. Apparently, we've, we've, we've trained everybody to believe that we don't need to make a profit. Right. Like it's not a fair game. It's not a fair Amazon versus anyone is not a fair fight. But and the anyone, thing is, the reality is that they will get into this market. Oh, I know. <laughs> and actually, so it's, it's not about if. 
they somewhat went. Well, you didn't listen to this week's episode, did you? So, <laughs> so uh, for those, yeah. So uh, by the time this airs, it'll be a couple of weeks after this, the first one. But there was a two-part series on tech titans entering the the fintech market. Yeah. So yes, Amazon was discussed mainly around their experiments, kind of around banking and mainly around the insurance aspect. Yeah. So yeah, they will. But at the same time, the, the reason that I went back to the KPI being yeah. value creation by technology is that not just number of technology that got integrated, number, these technologies are there to save dollars, to your point. Fully understand, right? that's so, a long view. So it's, but at the same time, a couple of examples here. Yeah. Some of these fraud cases, you identify them, it hits your PNL that same quarter. I get it, now me, I get it, but you gotta understand this, okay? So think about, let's, let's play this game, and think back to 2008, okay? Number of people say, well, oh, look, none of the banks cut, none of the Canadian banks cut their dividends in 2008. Do you think that was a responsible thing to do, to not cut their dividends? If you look at what was actually going on on their income statements and you look at how long it took before they had another income, dividend increase, any rational individual who did not have to answer to public markets would have been like, guess what? That's zero this year. Yeah. I am hoarding cash, right? So the reality is, is that they are, again, my two, my premise, my belief that the only thing they give a damn about is increasing price, uh, stock price and increasing dividend to increase that stock price. Yeah. It holds true every time it's tested. So if not them, then the smaller players that eventually come up or the larger players who move in are gonna maybe force that change. But I kind of have that wish too, but I kind of want to see them have their butts handed to them. Anyway. <laughs> and, Don't uh, say that. Yeah. No, that's not for you. No, but the, new, but the new ones will basically come and hire you too. <laughs> We're recession proof. Yes, that's right. As long as fraud exists. You're exactly. recession proof. As long as fraud exists. Well, my perspective is obviously mostly software, right? I, yeah. In hindsight, I want to change a lot of things, right? Oh, well, you can um, always build it better the second yeah, time, right? Yeah, there have been months of painful, <laughs> painful yeah. like, experiments and things that now I know and I don't want to do it again, right? <laughs> that being said, like, obviously, the talent is a challenge. Uh, there are a lot of things that I know now that mm -hmm. we could have done differently to begin with and we didn't have to go through some growth pains yeah. now. But mostly, I mean, industry, I want to go a little bit further back, like actual end users and people that for people to separate the difference between security and privacy and have them not be tied to one another, mm. your privacy shouldn't dictate your security. You should be able to basically use your privacy as a currency. Mm -hmm. You should give it to people in order to get better benefits, exactly. better uh, premiums, but doesn't, yeah. it shouldn't. Flipping your entire ca surveillance capitalism market to the point where instead of Google and everybody else making money off of our data that we're volunteering to them, right. we are the ones who receive the, I mean, there's a trade out there, right? Yeah. I use Gmail, they get some information out of me, but I value Gmail, right? That's the right way of exactly. doing it, right? And as long as I understand what they're taking, yeah, which is yeah. still the challenge. The transparency is key. Yeah, exactly. Which is, and it's it's a challenge. I mean, well, it's it's a you talk they talk about the biggest hot button issue of our entire the probably the next so decade is going to be like where do where do we lie? Like you yeah. know all the various topic conversations in the U.S. early preliminary ones about like a, a an amendment to the Bill of Rights surrounding privacy. It's like okay, what's it going to say? And then like <laughs> look at look at just GDPR and how like how many things have gone right or wrong because of GDPR, right? Like exactly. You yeah. can't uh, you can't yeah. Good luck. There's um, an exercise I like, like I tell like my family and anybody like you should be able to write everything about yourself on a billboard and put it on the street and you should not be in danger. Exactly. Right? Yeah. If that's the case, if you reach that point, then you're really yeah. not worried. If I have my personal life in a very secure digital locker and I can release with full discretion, hey, we want to offer you this service, but we need these pieces of data. Yeah, I'm okay with all that. Yes or no. Right. That's it. Right. As opposed to an end user license agreement that I have to, that no one ever reads. Yeah. Right. It's like it is what it is. Anyway, so next question. What has been the biggest challenge 
in growing the company to where you are today? And I know your answer is people. Uh, <laughs> my answer is going to be people. Your answer is people. But that's, but that's, but that's like, there's not even a close second. Yeah. I mean, no. we don't have a challenge. I mean, there's always a challenge of sales. Yeah. But we close a lot. Like our, our conversion ratio is very, very high. Well, you built a better mousetrap in the sense. Right. Like you've literally, you've solved the fundamental problem in a way that wasn't being tackled before. So you're right. I think sales is not your problem. It's yeah. making that mousetrap as good as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And like we, we thought it's going to be a challenge to go to the U.S. You know, we went to the U.S. within two months. We we had a, yeah. we had a contract. So really, it comes down to yeah. We now you know we need the to the challenge is fifty maintain. states of regulation. Yes. That's the challenge, <laughs> yeah. right? It's well, the oh man. No, it's, <laughs> well, that's not a challenge for us because we're modular, right? So that's yeah. it's actually for the average consumer, average business. It's for, fifty states is the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because um, because with with the banks, that's actually one of our, our our selling points is that depending on what state you want to operate in, you can actually. Very yeah. simply, in an admin backend yeah. level, not they just code don't level, use those modules. They can just yeah, yeah. exactly. Fantastic. You <laughs> crack that nut well. Yeah. All right. So then, any other challenges to talk? No, let's go with people. Yeah, okay. People. So then, for each of you, so what? if you're listening and you're a rock star, contact us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm trying to think of anyone who's looking right now. So the next question. Damn, I do know someone's looking. Yeah, we'll talk later. What excites you the most about what you're working on? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning and says, yes, I'm going to tackle this. And what, what really excites me is like when you think about it, when we when we step outside of, you know, what we're doing, and, yeah. you know, it's one thing to just look at numbers, the contracts we're writing. But then some, sometimes I think and I'm, I look and some of our clients are some of the biggest banks in North America, in the world. We have insurers that are like, you know, the largest. And um, just to think that they've been around for hundreds of years. And um, they've been doing the work, and now we're here. We are. We're just changing the way they completely operate, as mm -hmm. far as the fraud detection, as far as onboarding. It's really fascinating. When we started this podcast, I mentioned that we were at a crossroad. Mm -hmm. We didn't know to go direct to consumer or to help insurers. Direct to consumers, even if we crushed it, we would have you know thousands, you know a million, couple million users. Yeah. With each of our clients, we have access to tens of millions. Yeah. Exactly. Users. So the scale is is completely unbelievable. Longer sales cycle typically. Harder sell, lower per client volume, but much bigger acquisition rate yeah. than direct to consumer. Exactly, right and that that really excites me. And then when you think about whatever you built out of nothing, yeah. we built something out of nothing, and now is being used by tens and tens of millions of people. That I mean, yeah. that, well, and that I mean, is insane. I'll go back to the social justice piece. I mean, you guys are helping people who would otherwise, who are, who are decent human beings, who would otherwise have been overlooked by the system, no longer be overlooked by the right. system. Exactly. So, yeah, well done. So I can go with the excitement, which is another thing on top of what Sean mentioned, is the fact that in the space that we are in, there is no real category leader in the technology space. That's and, very true. And, and there are players in the space that have been there for like the past four or five years. Yeah. And the fact that we go and compete to them, to, with them head to head, and we're just like one year old in the, into the market yep. and winning contract over them. We just got contract uh, from one of the largest lenders in Canada over two of those like largest players in the market because of the way that we differentiate ourselves. Yep. That's very fulfilling for me. And I think I know some of the larger players you're talking about. And frankly, I think a lot of times what they designed, they got mm -hmm. into the space almost secondarily. 
they got into it doing one thing first and like, hey, you know what? If we kind of use this data to do this, right. <laughs> that would that would work, right? Yeah. But they never tackled the privacy issue the way you guys did yeah. or the modularity yeah. piece and understand the problem. Yeah. You're up. Last, uh, what excites you? Oh, well, I'm, I'm geeked through and through. Like, <laughs> just the technology excites me the most. I yeah. really don't think outside my own bubble. Yeah, my kind of thing, like waking up, <laughs> thinking about the code, thinking about how we're going to solve some problems. That gets me... Fantastic. Excited. Gentlemen, thoroughly impressive. I uh, have a lot of these conversations and I talk to, I usually do more B2C as opposed to B2B, but uh, the B2B ones tend to be less um, less energetic than you guys, uh, <laughs> but this has been fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank Thanks for the opportunity. opportunity. Oh, my That's pleasure. Great. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. Compliance isn't always the funnest topic, but I think these guys made it very interesting and uh, very, very fascinated by what they've accomplished. So as always, uh, thank you for joining me. This has been FinTech Impact, and I am Jason Pereira, your host. Until next time. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.